Today's podcast is sponsored by RadRx, your source for quality online education for interventional and diagnostic radiology coding, taught by subject matter expert Stacy Buck. For more information and testimonials, visit RadRx.com. Struggling to learn interventional radiology coding? If so, RadRx has the perfect solution for you. Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Online Training Program. In this program, interventional radiology coding expert Stacy Buck breaks down the complexities of interventional radiology coding in easy-to-understand terms so you can grasp this complex specialty. Through her course, Stacy has assisted many coders with little or no interventional radiology coding experience in successfully passing the CERC exam on the first attempt. For additional information and testimonials, visit radrx.com. Welcome to Who Cares What Stacy Says, a podcast providing insights and advice on how to take your medical coding career to the next level. And now, here's your host, Stacy Buck. Welcome to Who Cares What Stacy Says. I am your host, Stacy Buck. I am so excited to finally have my first guest on my podcast, and I'm looking forward to hosting many more guests in the future. In today's episode, I sit down with my friend and colleague, Tony Elholmes, founder and CEO of Alpha Coding Experts and host of the Alpha Coding Podcast. Tony is credentialed as a CCS, a CPC, CPMA, a CRC, and she's also an AHIMA-approved ICD-10-CM PCS trainer. Tony is an internationally known speaker and recognized subject matter expert on medical coding, reimbursement, and revenue cycle management. With over a decade of industry experience, she has led and supported hospital systems, universities, physician practices, payers, law firms, government agencies, and other entities on coding, billing, and compliance initiatives. Tony honestly does it all. I am always in awe of her. Tony is also a frequent contributor to various media outlets and a regular guest on industry podcasts. She also leads and mentors a network of revenue cycle management professionals across the country and serves as president of the Orlando, Florida AAPC chapter. In her Alpha Coding podcast, with new episodes dropping every Monday, Tony provides industry pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. The series includes healthcare industry news, coding updates, career advice, personal development, and so much more. If you have not yet subscribed to Tony's podcast, I highly recommend that you do. I had so much fun chatting with Tony about a variety of subjects, including the extended forecast for the medical coding profession, challenges with technology in the coding space, and advice for effectively navigating your medical coding career. I hope you enjoy listening to the episode as much as Tony and I enjoyed recording it. And now here is part one of my interview with Tony L. Holmes. So hey, everyone. I am super excited to have my first guest on Who Cares What Stacy Says?, Tony L. Holmes has graciously agreed to be the first guest for my podcast, and she and I um, have been having a lot of fun prior to (laughs) this podcast episode, working through some technical difficulties, and then we just got on this laughing streak that couldn't stop, so we're trying to pull ourselves together to give you an awesome podcast, but it may spill over into (laughs) the episode. So anyway, Tony, I want to welcome you to today's podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me, Stacy. And like you said, I mean, we have been cracking up for almost an hour just going back and forth. <laughs> You're one of my favorite people to talk to. So super excited to be here today. Yes, absolutely. So Tony and I, we had the pleasure of meeting in person. I believe it was back in April, um, face-to-face. We met for lunch, and we ended up having a lunch that was three hours long, actually. And the only reason it was that short was because Tony had a meeting. So me and her are like two peas in a pod, and if we get on something and we just start laughing, it doesn't stop. So who knows what will come out in this (laughs) episode of the podcast. So anyway, so... Um, what I wanted to do in this episode is I'm, I'm going to ask Tony some questions about her experience, her background, and then I'm also going to ask her about some advice that she would give to up-and-coming medical coders and HIM professionals. So Tony um, is probably most well-known, I think, for her podcast, the Alpha Coding Podcast, which I think is amazing. Um, by the way, it's one of my favorite podcasters. I think you're one of the best podcasters out there. I'm so impressed that you can keep episodes to like 20 minutes. I will never master that. I admit it. Um, I'm thrilled when I keep them at 30 and that's a challenge. Um, but the podcast is is amazing. And then you also um, are owner of Alpha Coding Experts as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit you know, about your entrepreneurial experience and what a typical day looks like for you? Yes, I'm super excited to be here. Um, Stacey, I love your podcast as well. I'm really glad that Brian Cooey pushed you into this because you have some really amazing, valuable content that you're sharing with your audience. Thank and you. So I'm truly honored to be here. Um, so, you know, as a fellow entrepreneur, Stacey, you know, no two days look the same. Um, when you work for yourself, there's a lot of pros, there's also some cons. Um, but I, I think that being an entrepreneur has always been my dream um, to be able to work for myself. So typical day. um, Well, it feels like a marathon before I actually start my work day because I have three kids all under the age of (laughs) all under the age of uh, of four. And so double wow, triple wow. (laughs) It's crazy. And when we met back in April, I was like eight months pregnant. Yeah, I remember. Miserable. Um, (laughs) But you, you said, you know, let's go eat. And I was like, let's do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we both love food. Um, but anyways, uh, as far as the typical work day, after I do the hustle and bustle with my three kiddos, um, I immediately immerse myself in the news as far as what's going on in healthcare. And as you know, Stacey, every, every day things change. Um, so looking at listservs, notice of material changes, we're in coding update season with, um, the ICD-10 CM updates actually taking effect today, the 2022 updates. Um, January 1st is coming up. We've got a new year. We've got OPPS, CPT changes. So right now it's very much trying to figure out what, what's the latest and greatest information that I need to have at my um, at my disposal to be able to give clients, because as you know, working for physicians and um, hospitals and health systems and law firms, they come to you for information as far as what do we need to know, what needs to be on our radar. So it's really important as a um, a healthcare entrepreneur and a subject matter expert in the business of medicine that I stay. Um, up to date on those changes and updates. 
So I usually start off my day with, with something like that. Um, I'm also a big fan of personal development. So I incorporate personal development development typically in, into the beginning part of my day. So I'll spend either uh, 20, 30 minutes um, reading a personal development book or listening to a podcast or um, some type of YouTube video. But I, I'm a big believer in the power of um, feeding your mind the right information and, and kind of setting the tone for a productive and successful day. Um, every day is different. When I'm working with clients, I could be, uh, you know, participating in an advisory board meeting, conducting coding audits, compliance audits, um, cost analysis, looking at productivity for providers. Um, one of my favorite things is working as an expert witness. So I'm frequently in depositions, trial. Um, so every day is a little bit different, but um, Stacy, I'm sure you can attest to this. Working for yourself is, is truly the most rewarding type of work that you could do because it's yours. You've built something um, mm -hmm. that people, you know, want to be a part of. And, and that every single day is, is what gets me out of bed. Right. So I think I kind of now stumbled upon like how I feel like you're an expert on like everything. I said that to you a while back. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you like an expert on like everything? Like, how do you do this? And so you just gave us some of your secrets on how, how you do that. So you mentioned, you know, there are, you know, pros and cons of like having like your own business. And I completely agree with that. In one of my podcast episodes, I actually talked about the pros and cons of being a business owner. So what do you consider the biggest pro? And then what do you consider the biggest con of having your own business? Yes, I love that episode because I think you give really targeted um, pros and cons because a lot of people think that it's glamorous. And yes, there are um, a lot of perks that come with the job. So mm -hmm. I think the biggest pro is having full autonomy of your schedule, Yes, um, not having to request you know, PTO or, you know, time off um, and just being able to design your life, a truly a life by design. So I'd say that's probably the biggest pro. Another, another, I got to say another pro just because it is a big pro is, is um, you get to control your income. I mean, obviously there's things well, that Well, that can happen be a con. The income part of it can be a con. <laughs> you got to get the business can. and the people have to pay you and on time. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And th mm. there's so much that we could go in into yeah. that. Um, but I think when I worked in corporate, I was one of those people that, and you probably like this too, Stacey, I did the work of four or five people. Yes. I could, you know, outwork everybody. And, and the problem with that, there's so many great things about it because you get to learn so much and you get to be a part of so many different projects. And, um, I would not be where I am today if if I was the type of person that said no, just right. because I've been given so many opportunities and so many um, so much exposure to different areas. But the downside to that is when you're an employee, you don't see that in your paycheck. You don't you don't see um, mm -hmm. a lot of times you don't see that return on investment as far as your time. So um, I think. Being an entrepreneur, you have the ability if you want to hustle and you know work really right. hard, you can you can do very well in in this industry. The biggest con is you're it, right? If mm -hmm. if you're you're up, you're up. If you're down, you're yeah. down. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a baby back in June. And I mean, with the exception of taking a break on the podcast, I was literally in my bed at the hospital answering emails, dealing wow. with issues because you're it, right? You're right. the show. And so if you don't work, if you don't put in time, then you know, there's always a disaster that's gonna come about. You you have to deal with it. And you're, you know, you're the only one that can deal with it. And it's incredible amount of stress. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I probably lost be. 10 years off my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last couple of years, but yes, incredibly stressful. Yeah, it definitely can be. I mean, I, you know, have shared, you know, a bit of my career journey, you know, with my audience. And there was one point in time where when I was first, you know, working on my own, I was working a lot of hours. I was doing 60 hours a week. I was like a stressed out like mess and I was making great money, but I was like miserable because I was so stressed out. It was always something. And then trying to manage people working for me, like I had like a large coding team and then I went through some health issues. And then when you go through something where you can't work for about eight months, it kind of helps you look at things differently and you realize that things can be done without you necessarily being involved in every little area. And then over time, I just decided, you know what, I don't want to live like I did before. I want to, you know, live with less stress. And, you know, as you know, and others know, I've moved into the online education space and that's really where I make most of my income. And I've cut back my consulting because I don't want to be behind my computer and having people calling me you know, all hours of the day and putting demands on me and and clients stressing me out. So over time, I've been able to structure the business and and change it. And I know you, I would highly recommend because you're an expert on everything, you could make millions of dollars like online, like seriously, you don't need to work the stress out. So that's my advice to you. No no charge for that. (laughs) Thanks, Stacey. (laughs) You're welcome. So before, so let me ask you this, what made you decide to go out on your own? What made you decide to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in my in my previous role, um, I worked as a director of coding and compliance. I managed a team of auditors, coders, billers, consultants, and um, it was extremely stressful. I was on the road constantly. I was in an airplane. I was driving somewhere pretty much, I'd say, over 200 days out of the year. Wow. And you know, that plus the people management side of it Mm -hmm. really starts to wear you down. But what really tipped the scales for me was, and I've heard you mention this before, Stacey, is I would do a lot of speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. And every single time I would hear people say, hey, can I hire you as my advisor? Can I hire Mm -hmm. you as my consultant? Like, do you do any private work? Mm -hmm. Are you interested in, in, you know, being a professional speaker? Have you thought about um, going out on your own? And I just had people constantly approaching me about that. And it made me think, okay, there's something there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the wheels started turning, I would say, several years before I decided to go out on my own. And and then I had a couple of kids and it just wasn't the right timing. But after my second daughter was born, um, that next year, I, I just knew that it was time for me to move on. And when I first started my business, it was, um, I mean, it was really scary. It's like jumping off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. You, you don't really know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And I tried to do like a, you know, part-time consultant while I built up my book of business. And it just didn't work because I needed to dedicate all my time to my business. And right. 
as you know, that first year can be really, really challenging. Yes. A lot of people don't survive. Um, but we're, you know, over two years in and, and it's, you know, been incredible, incredible journey, but I would never go back to being an employee. There's just no way. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm impressed that the the um, progress you've made in like only like two years, like that's amazing. But no, being an employee is like not for me. When the business would go through like lean times and money was tight, I would start poking around and looking at jobs. And I even had job offers and I'd get close to saying maybe and then something would come in and then I'm like, okay, like I don't need this. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I want to do that because I actually had an experience one time where there was a company that hired me as an independent contractor to do some work for them. And one of the perks about being an independent contractor is you can set your own hours, you kind of do the project, like, you know, when you, you know, want to kind of thing, as long as you know, you're given a deadline, and you meet the deadline. Well, this company had um, also offered me a full time position, and I had turned them down on this full time position for like many reasons. Um, Company was great. And 10 years earlier, I would have jumped on the opportunity that they offered me, it just wasn't fitting with where I wanted to go. And as the um, 1099, they were trying to control me and tell me, you know, set very hard, you know, requirements in place for me. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then I'm like, if you're like this with a 1099, I don't know that I want to work for you. Um, <laughs> if I'm ever in a situation where somebody's trying to control what I'm doing, I like will push back on that. And it reminds me of why I never want to be an employee again, because you have to work under certain parameters and, you know, do as you're told. And that was never really a great fit for me. I always thrived when I worked for people who gave me complete autonomy and trusted me to do my job. In other situations where that was not the case, I never stayed very long because it just wasn't a good fit. Some people need that and they like it, but with our personalities, that's just not something that's going to fly like long term. So totally. Yeah. So like thinking back like over your career, like we all have, I think, like regrets about things, maybe missed opportunities or, you know, that we didn't take or, you know, whatever the case may be. If there was something, you know, if you had to do this, you know, career all over again or go down this path all over again, is there something that you would do differently from what you've already done? Yeah. Um, there's actually this trend on TikTok. It's called the younger self trend. And it, it's, it's such a good trend because it's like your older self talking to your younger self. And um, I think, I would have definitely went out on my own sooner, uh, probably five years ago, if, if I could go back and, you know, do things differently, just because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that I had what, you know, what it took to succeed on my own. Are you kidding um, me? Are you kidding me? You're an expert <laughs> on everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, that's very sweet. And I, I really truly appreciate that. But, um, I think self-doubt and imposter syndrome, I would go back and tell myself, just forget about all of that. Do whatever you can to believe in yourself because you have what it takes. And I see people every single day, and you probably get this too, Stacey, especially newer coders that are coming into the industry and they're like, you know, looking for that opportunity, but they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe that they have what it takes to be successful. And there's a difference between being, you know, cocky about it and um, too much. But if, if you have skills like your attention to detail, you pay attention, you care about what you do, you take something and you own it. 
like you own that project or, you know, you own that deadline. Uh, those are the types of characteristics that um, just kind of solidify in your mind that you can do anything you set your mind to. It just takes hard work and, and dedication. So I would tell my younger self, believe in yourself. You can do this. Um, and don't listen to haters because there's yeah. a lot of people out there that are going to try to push you down. Um, I, I had a, a mentor early on in, in my business and, um, you know, one of the things that um, unfortunately happened was there was a bit of competitiveness. And, mm -hmm. and I think that person felt like I was getting things too quickly. I was meeting those mm -hmm. milestones in my business and getting opportunities yeah. that they had worked, you know, their whole life for. And those people are, they're not your mentor. They're not your, right. your, your cheerleader. They're like these people that are in your boat and they're poking holes in your boat, right? but exactly. you don't always see it. And so um, those are the types of things that I think I would, they're definitely lessons learned, things that I had to go through, but I'm, I'm so happy on the other side of it. Yeah, no, I can relate to like what, you know, you say where, and, and this is where I feel like in, in the profession, you know, the profession that we're in, it's dominated by women. It has been for many years. We're getting more men into the profession, but it's predominantly female. And what I noticed coming up in the profession is that women are not always so nice to other women. Um, I've worked with women who were just threatened by my ambition and were intent on keeping me down under their thumb and not letting me, um, you know, be me and do what I need to do. And then I've worked for other women that are great and mentored me and encouraged me. And it just always blows my mind why, and this isn't all women. I know mostly women are <laughs> listening, so I don't <laughs> want people to think I'm bashing women. I'm a woman, but there's a good chunk of women out there who are very petty and are unprofessional and just make everything personal. If they don't like you, then, you know, they, they have a hard time working with people. Whereas myself, if I don't care for you personally, let's face it, we all have people that we don't like, and we would prefer not to be around them. That's just human nature. Even if I don't like you, I can put aside my personal feelings and work with you in a very professional manner and help you succeed. Because if I help you succeed, then we all succeed. I'm a very big believer and like, you know, working for the good of the team and the organization. But I just had a lot of difficulty um, along the way and where I found that I always preferred or not always, but a lot of times preferred working with men because even being a stronger woman, men were okay with that. And I actually found I had the respect of a lot of men because I would stand up to men that other people wouldn't stand up to. And I'm like, you're not going to treat me any different or talk to me any differently because I'm a woman. And I would go toe to toe if I, <laughs> if I needed to, um, that's just my personality. Um, and so anyway, I don't know if you, you know, want to comment any, any further on that or not, but that that's just the observations in my career. Again, there are amazing women out there who've been, you know, great to me, but I've encountered my fair share of those that were not very helpful or positive. It's so true. I couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like people need to hear this, especially um, the folks that are kind of in that transition of climbing the career ladder and they might have a really bad manager mm -hmm. or a supervisor. And I've been there. Yeah. Stacey's been there. Yep. It's They want to put you in a box and you don't fit into that box and they're threatened by you. And you shouldn't dim your light to make other people happy and I've done it. I'm sure Stacy's done it. You know, 
in, depending on the period of time in your life that you're in. But you were given that light. You were given that um, talent. You were given that work ethic for a reason. And you shouldn't hide it. It's, it's something that you should embrace and it's going to take you very far. Yeah, right. And I would tell people, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself when you when you need to. I mean, there's there's a way to do it. Um, when I was younger, I was really mouthy and I didn't necessarily always do it the best way <laughs> I can remember. So I'll just kind of throw this in here. My, it was my first job that I ever had working in medical records. And I didn't even know you could get a degree in like HIM when I took this job. I'm like, you need a degree to do this? Like, are you kidding me? This is insane. <laughs> and my boss at the time, she had the two-year degree, which um, now you're the um, RHIT. Then it was an ART. This is like, I'm, a- I'm aging myself here, like the old credentials. <laughs> and she was always, she was not so nice to me. Like we would like butt heads. And then I remember one day I got mad and I punched the clock and I walked out. I just like left because I was so upset, which I shouldn't have done. And I called someone back at the office and they're like, you need to like come back to the office. You can't just like leave like that. And so I did. And then I requested a meeting with my boss's boss. So I went over her head to her boss to request this meeting to resolve this conflict. And when we were in this meeting, my uh, I said to my I said to my boss's boss, I said, I want her to tell me what she does all day long while I'm doing all the work. That was the question oh. I threw out there. I'm 18 years old and this is what I'm saying, okay? Oh my God, <laughs> that is awesome. And then my boss says back, I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do because you don't have a degree. Oh, so I looked at her boss and I go, do you see how she treats me disrespectfully? How dare she speak to me like that? And her boss oh said to her, gosh. I think you owe Stacy an apology. Oh, yes. Burn, right? <laughs> oh, my so gosh. So she had to apologize oh. to me. Now, did I go about that properly? No. I wouldn't advise going about things that way. When you get older, you go about things a little bit more diplomatically. But I was pretty mouthy for having my first full-time job at like 18, where if I feel I'm being treated unfairly, I'm going to let you know. And I didn't, have, you. I didn't have any fear about going there. So again, I didn't do it the best way, but the point is, you know, it can work to your benefit if you confront situations. I've had to confront situations um, a few different places that I worked. And again, I got better at it as I progressed through my career and got a little bit more experience and had a higher level of maturity. Um, But again, you have to advocate for you. No one else is going to advocate for you like you will. Um, obviously if you're in a work situation where you have an abusive manager and I've heard some stories from people, um, in those situations, you just need to leave. You need, you need to do that for your own mental health because there are people out there that are horrible. They do exist. And so that would be my advice there. So, okay, let's get on to something more pleasant. (laughs) Toxic work culture. those, Those bad experiences there. So, and I have a ton of stories and I know you have a ton of stories. We could probably record for 10 hours just sharing stories from our experience and the different jobs that we've had. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so many. Maybe one day I'll write a book or something about <laughs> HIM right. and like coding Do world. The, the dark Netflix side of HIM and coding. <laughs> that might be an interesting read. Okay. Oh so let's gosh. talk to people who are considering, you know, HIM for a profession or medical coding for a profession. So what do you think is the most important personality trait or strength that someone needs to be successful in this space? It's a great question. I think um, 
you definitely have to have incredible attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to be good at solving puzzles and putting the pieces together. And um, that attention to detail is going to take you so far. I'm talking like every single detail. Right. I've seen reports where people spell the provider's name wrong. They get their credentials wrong. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Do you really think that they're going to listen to anything that you said if you couldn't even get their name correct? Right. Or their, you know, their credentials. And so that attention to detail is everything. It can make the difference between $100 and $1,000 in terms Absolutely. of, you know, coding. And, and it's just so, so, so important. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Even, you know, I always find it interesting and corresponding with people looking at email correspondence. I pay particular attention to how people communicate in email. Now, some people probably don't pay attention to that or it doesn't matter. To me, it matters. I'm that person who wants proper grammar, spelling, punctuation. You're not sending a text message to your buddy. This is a professional communication. Um, And unfortunately, some people treat professional communications like casual communications. And so I think that can be very off-putting because it can make you appear uneducated at times, even though you're not. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you're not communicating in a more formal manner, um, then that can certainly be an issue, especially if you're applying for a job. I have people send me resumes. um, You know, they'll send me like short notes, like with the resumes. Um, the one that cracked me up was just like, you know, hi, here's my resume. This is the amount of money that I want to make. Boom, done. And I was like, wow, okay, thank you for telling me about yourself. It was very like abrupt. <laughs> um, oh my but God. just, you know, what just not to professionalism <laughs> in every area, I think is very important there. So true. The, yeah, yes. I agree. Yeah. So the next question kind of ties into what we just talked about. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would have for a new professional entering this profession? Obviously, we talked about that attention to detail. They need that. But what would be, again, thinking back maybe to when you were younger, you know, that that other other than believing in yourself, what is something that you think is like so important as far as let's look at it from the technical aspect of the job. Let's talk about it from there. Like, what's that piece of advice that you would give? Oh, man, (laughs) I have a lot. But if I could pick just one, it would be know your audience. And it kind of piggies back on what you just said about, um, you know, being cognizant of your communication, especially professionally. But you really have to know your audience if you're somebody that's just getting into this field or the veterans. Um, What I mean by that is if you're talking to a doctor or a provider about their documentation, maybe you're not seeing something in there there that you know that they're doing or you've done an audit and maybe they've done poorly on the audit. You really have to know how to tailor and target that information to exactly what the provider is going to, you know, latch onto as far as their attention. And um, that is very difficult to do. And if you are like us and you're working in consulting and you're, let's say you're working with an orthopedic surgeon and, and you start talking about something that's specific to cardiology, like you're going to lose them right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to know your audience, not just with providers, but I do a lot of education with coders as well. And 
Um, when you're dealing with providers, it's what do they need to document? What right. do you need to see in their documentation? Not like a historical analysis of coding guidelines. <laughs> right. It's like they don't want to hear that. Right. Um, but coders, they want to know that stuff. Exactly. They want to know the, you know, the history and and the conventions and all of the things that apply and your source material. And, you know, you can lay it all out and be really extensive with coders, but um, providers don't want to hear that. And let's say you have to give a report to your C-suite or, you know, present to a board. They're not going to want to hear the nitty gritty details. Right. They're going to want to hear what's the financial impact. What's the, exactly. you know, the ROI, um, you have to keep it high level. So you sometimes you have to be really in the weeds and sometimes you have to be very high level and, and being able to adapt in those, um, in those different audiences Definitely. is something I think people are really going to have to have, especially um, as things change and the more lower level um, type of coding is going to go away. Right. With yes. like natural language processing, mm-hmm. like, there were, you know, times when people were just charge entry and they were calling it coding. And right. um, there's a lot of very simple type of coding that can that can be done with the um, uh, AI and it's already being done. Yes. And so if you're one of those people that's in those types of jobs, mm-hmm. this is how you elevate yourself by being able to um, communicate with different audiences and deliver different, you know, content and education, but I think knowing your audience is critical. Yeah, definitely. You know, I deal with the same thing when I speak to different audiences, you know, speaking to physicians is very different from coders. I tell people, if you're speaking to physicians, if you're new to this, physicians have a very short attention span when it comes to coding. They just do. That's not (laughs) where they want to spend their time. They don't want to get into the weeds of it. And then other people share that the physicians just aren't interested in what they have to say. And so my advice is always, you need to show them the money. You need to show them the revenue impact to get their attention. But then even with that, once you have their attention, you have to be like bullet points, like boom, 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 boom. They don't want a lengthy explanation. It has to be like very high level for a physician. And then if you can meet them on their terms, the way they communicate and the way they want information communicated to them, you actually can get buy-in from physicians where they will seek you out. Um, when they have a question or they need advice. And that's really the best. I mean, you know, I mean, when you get a physician, that's like, hey, I want to run this by you. You know, what do I need to document? You know, make sure that we're getting paid. I I love physicians like that. I haven't encountered a ton of them. Um, but some have like treated me like their best friend and want to call me and ask yes. me all kinds of questions, um, <laughs> you know, which sometimes some of them are trying to pick my brain to like push the envelope and do some <laughs> questionable things. I'm like, okay, just because you're documenting it doesn't necessarily mean you should bill for it. We have this thing Red called flag. medical necessity as well that we need to um, take into account. I used to have one physician who would lay out by his pool at his big fancy expensive house and call me on the phone and say, hey, what about this? And what about that? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, he's the one who's counting his bullet points for E&M to get the higher level. And so he was picking my brain to try to make more money with the services. I'm like, you're kind of missing the point of what we're doing here. So you mentioned, um, you know, computer assisted coding. That's a technology that a lot of people are familiar with, you know, natural language processing, also with artificial intelligence. That's kind of like the hottest thing right now, I think, in the profession is this talk about AI. And a lot of people, you know, ask, you know, am I going to lose my job as a coder because of like AI? 
And I don't you know, know about you, but my thoughts on that is that no, there will still be plenty of opportunities for coders, even with AI. It will eventually, from what I've seen now, I've seen a couple of different AI products and I've kind of heard about other ones out there. They're not really where they need to be like right now. Um, you know, a lot of people can probably remember years ago when CAC first came out, you know, I first used CAC back in 2005 and CAC was supposed to replace coders. <laughs> it didn't happen. Here we are. <laughs> you know, 16 years later, not even close, there are issues with CAC. And while AI is different and the machine will learn over time and it will get better, there's still going to be a need for the human coder where even with, with the technology, you would be more in a role of an auditor. Um, in, you know, filling, you know, that role. So it'd be like a higher level role, I think, for like coders. I actually feel like it will elevate the profession in a way um, for that that skill set. So, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Or what would be your advice to those who are starting in coding who have that fear and want to make sure that their skill sets are going to meet the needs in the future? I totally agree with what you just said. Um, I think that for folks that are just entering the industry, um, you want to focus on really getting those higher level skills. So getting into surgical coding, um, being prepared for um, taking uh, on auditing projects, education, that sort of thing. There's always going to be a need for coders. And I, I don't buy into the theory that um, AI is just going to, you know, sweep in and, and take all the jobs because as you and I both know, Stacey, as vets, um, electronic health records, they didn't replace coders. They Correct. created so many issues for, yes. <laughs> yes. for coders. Yes, definitely. Um, unfortunately, they came, I mean, there's so many advantages to EHR, but they um, come with a hefty price tag. And, and a lot of times the the people that have sold these EHRs are really, um, they're like equated to a dirty car, a car, a dirty car, a car salesman. Like <laughs> they sold this Porsche and they gave them the Pinto and it's like, right. basically they told them, oh yeah, you don't have to do anything. The, the computer is going to code for you. The computer is right. going to do this. The computer is going to do that. And that's the problem now. We can't even get, um, you know, physicians to write good notes because we've got a seven page note. We still don't even know why the patient's here and what the status of any of their problems are because it's just garbage. Right. Um, So I think um, rest assured, there's absolutely always going to be HIM and coding um, as long as there's healthcare. Uh, It's a multi-trillion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the, um, economic predictions with regards to career paths that are expected to grow. You see HIM encoding on there as, you know, in the top five, top 10 careers that are good investments. Um, so I think there's ample opportunity. The computers are going to keep getting smarter, but just like with patient care, um, doctors are never going to be replaced by, you know, the right. machines. That's, right. There's too much of a human element. And, you know, Stacey and I can can both attest to this. We both, I'm sure, Stacey, you use uh, a, a computer-assisted coding software. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
they're not perfect. Right. If you type something in, you've got to know what you're looking for. You can't just go based off of the first thing that pops up. And if you do, it's the easiest way to know that you have no idea what you're doing because a lot of times it's something completely unrelated to what you're looking for. So the computers are great tools, um, AI, natural language processing, all of these terms you're going to hear more and more and more. But if you're providing value to the organization that you're supporting um, by making sure that they're buttoned up as far as their coding and clinical documentation, audits, Mm -hmm. and that you're staying up to date on the changes and and making sure that your organizations are compliant, there's definitely going to be a need for you because like Stacy was just saying, if you're good, they're going to, they're going right. to like latch on to you and you're going to be, you know, their best friend. I've had doctors call me at 11 o'clock at night when they're finishing up their charts and they're like, please, Tony, can you just help me? Um, I've had clients that have said, you know, um, you saved me hours off of my day and charting because I was charting all of this stuff that I didn't even need to chart right. because I thought that it affected the coding. Right. And so you as a coding professional need to understand your value. And it's way more than just, you know, taking some yes. code and putting it into a software or um, letting a, a computer generate that information. It's way beyond that. Yeah, definitely. If you, you know, going back to what I said about doctors and you need to talk to them in dollars, you need to show them the revenue impact, but also if you can show them how to be more efficient in their documentation and cut down the time they spend on it and still capture it, they will appreciate that as well. I mean, I, I feel for doctors. I do. I mean, they are so busy. They're seeing so many patients and some of the documentation is just documenting for the sake of documenting. There's really no value Um, And some of the documentation that, you know, we're capturing in like EHRs, it's just not really, you know, necessary. I've also argued with physicians who want to write a paragraph and a progress note and bill a level five. And I'm like, that's not going to cut it either. (laughs) So I've got that, you know, the ones who don't document and want a level five. And then those just because the EHR, the boxes have been checked, you know, now we're charging a level five when it's, there's no medical necessity. And I had that happen to me personally as a patient. I had the ER doctor billing me a level five for my ER visit. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, I wasn't near death. I wasn't, you know, I had a chest x-ray, I had lab work and you, that was it. There was like nothing else done, no IV meds, no nothing. And you're trying, and when I requested them to audit it, they came back and said, our auditor stands by a level five. Everything was documented in the EHR. And I was like, wow. I'm like, no, at best that was a level three. ER visit. Um, so I, I've been on that side of it there. So with the CAC and the AI, you know, since we're, I know that's a hot topic and everybody always has questions about it. You know, going back to what you were just saying, there's what I see with those tools is that they help productivity. They don't necessarily eliminate jobs on a wide scale, but they help productivity. So what I noticed years ago, switching over to CAC, mainly what that did we still reviewed every single report that went through CAC. A set of eyes looked at it. So what it did is it allowed the coders to be able to review twice as many reports. And then we didn't have to do manual charge entry because it gives you a file automatically, whether you have five reports or 5,000, it's a few keystrokes to post those charges. So it took away more, it didn't eliminate the need for coders. It was those clerical positions that were more affected by CAC. And so I kind of feel as CAC gets better and we move to AI, 
it will be similar in that those more mundane, you know, tasks that coders are doing, the very repetitive stuff, that in time will go away. Um, but there's definitely like no threat, you know, to, to the to the job market as far as I see, um, you know, with with it. Although co- coding is a funny thing, you know, we're here, you know, now in you know October 2021, and thinking back to last year, COVID 2020, like what happened. That was like mind blowing that so many coders were like furloughed and laid off and like didn't have work. I'm like, I never would have thought in a million years that we would have ever seen that under any circumstances whatsoever. Um, no, it's crazy. So I think that kind of like tells us, you know, just on a personal level, don't we need to think and prepare for the unexpected because that was truly unexpected and nobody would have predicted that. Not having all your eggs in one basket and just trying to diversify professionally and have different things, um, you know, maybe going on looking at multiple sources of income should God forbid we find ourselves, you know, in a situation like that um, again. So that was just... A, Again, you don't know what you don't know, and nobody would have ever predicted that that would have happened. So let me ask you this. With COVID, how did how did you adapt to that? How did you adjust to that? Like, how did it affect your business in, in 2020, and how did you deal with that? Um, yeah, so I think you just brought up some really good points because especially with what's happening right now with the staffing shortages in the hospital. Yes. Um, hospitals and physician practices are really having to make some tough decisions mm-hmm. because their budget's been impacted. And unfortunately, we've seen this time and time again, Stacy, coding and HIM, it's like they start there. They're like, let's get rid of, you know, half the people. Right. And, and still expect the same results. And it's like, unfortunately, that's always kind of looked at as a cost center when it's actually one of your biggest revenue generators as far as, you know, expertise. Um, But as far as COVID um, and my business, um, I mean, I used to do a lot more traveling. I used to be on an airplane a lot more and I would do a lot more in-person education and and in-person speaking engagements and that sort of thing. So, Uh, the transition to Zoom was not new to me because, you know, I had done a lot of that, but it was, it was definitely a change in the culture for a lot of our clients because they had that expectation of doing things in person. The other thing that changed that was, um, I think it changed for the better is I'm an expert witness and I testify in deposition and trial and, um, this is something that was always done in person before mm-hmm. COVID. There's yeah. no way that you weren't going to right. a trial or a deposition and, and the attorneys would, you know, fly out to you and mm-hmm. it didn't matter what it cost, it had to be done. And so now it's kind of the norm, um, which is, you know, it's crazy to even imagine, you know, a couple of years ago that this would be the case, but now it's, it's, it's what people do. So um, there's been a lot of positive things that have come uh, from the pandemic. I, as far as uh, digital health, I've I've been in the telehealth and telemedicine space for um, the last uh, five years. So I was in it before it was cool to do it. Now everybody's a self-proclaimed telehealth expert, um, <laughs> but. COVID changed everything in terms of the regulations. And so I was extremely busy last year working with um, doctors and and hospitals and and health systems on getting their telehealth 
programs up and running operational and being able to get paid for the work they were doing because Mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, their revenue would have come to a screeching halt. So it was very, very busy. That concludes part one of my interview with Tony L. Holmes. Thank you so much, Tony, for sharing so much of your time and expertise with my audience. Be sure to tune into part two of my interview with Tony to hear how voice recognition software exposed a cheating spouse and about a patient who had a tonsillectomy only to have her tonsils grow back. Part two is truly an entertaining episode. Thank you so much to all of my loyal listeners. Please share this podcast with all of your friends. And if you listen on Apple, please give the podcast a five-star rating and leave your comments. Also a reminder, if you have any questions you would like to ask me and have me answer in a future podcast episode, please email them to askstacy at radrx.com. That's askstacy, that's Stacy S-T-A-C-I-E at radrx.com. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or want to share feedback on an episode, please send those to podcast at radrx.com. That's podcast at radrx.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to Who Cares What Stacy Says. You can connect with Stacy on social media. You can find her business page for RadRx on Facebook, and you can connect with her personally on LinkedIn. Don't forget to check out the online training courses offered by RadRx. Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Online Training, or Cracking the Diagnostic Radiology Code Online Training. Thanks again for tuning in to Who Cares What Stacy Says, a podcast providing insights and advice on how to take your medical coding career to the next level.